They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Nathan, I'm just sitting here thinking of the one time when you were playing Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, and were completely incapable of getting the timings down for that one attack. It was really embarrassing. Is this... Every time, right before I hit record, I ask Elliot, do you have, like, a subject or something for us to banter about? And a lot of times he says yes, and then it's just an insulting story about me. It's not insulting. It's it's banter. It's it's playful ribbing. Yeah, it's letting the audience get to know us a bit. You know, a kind of a window into our lives outside of this uh, this podcast. Yeah, of course, I don't have a life outside of this podcast, so it always has to be you who's on the receiving end. But more importantly than Nathan's abysmal gaming skills, Nathan, we stand on the precipice of Barbenheimer. Yep, it's already some people have already done it. I think the number I saw most recently was 20,000 people across America have already bought tickets for a Barbie Oppenheimer or Oppenheimer Barbie double feature. I we are a part of that group. Tomorrow I have successfully convinced a very large group of people to go to an Oppenheimer Barbie double feature. I'm incredibly excited for it. Elliot, which which one are you more excited for of the two? Um, Oppenheimer. Look, I, I really like Greta Gerwig, and I have a lot of faith in her abilities, but as I've said before, the Barbie trailers have really not done it for me. I feel the same way, although I, I think I am probably more excited for Barbie than you are. But... Yeah, I'm incredibly, I'm over the moon over this. I'm so ready. I've got my outfit. I'm going to dress like Killian Murphy and Peaky Blinders. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, also, in the in the movie world, pretty much everyone who's part of a guild is on strike. Um, and I, I think that we it's time for Magellan's at the Movies to issue an official statement. We stand behind the rights of the working man to use his labor uh, to the best of his abilities to strengthen his position. We are 100% behind the proletariat. And who is more proletariat than millionaire, billionaire actors? And Here's writers. the thing. I, I think I saw a number. I don't want to get too bogged down in this. But I think only like 90% of the people in SAG-AFTRA are like just normal people like you and me who have acting as their like day job. Yes, they'll go I, in. They'll, yeah. I know I'm making a joke. Okay. Well, it wasn't a very factually correct joke. <laughs> no, I agree. Good on them. I think I saw a thing today that 
every day that the strike continues costs Deadpool two, Deadpool three, like six million dollars or something like that. So it's crazy. It'll be interesting to see because the writers' strike famously altered uh, what Breaking Bad was, and I think Lost also had some fairly interesting ramifications from the writers' strike in the late to early 2000s. So I think it'll be interesting to see going forward what is going to happen with, you know, movies that are in production right now. I think I saw somewhere that Dune 2 might get pushed back. I don't know if that's connected, but, you know, yeah. It's It's interesting times in Hollywood. Segway, we are talking about a movie from Hollywood today. Um, Elliot, you got to choose this. Do you want to give us the breakdown? What, what are we talking about today? What's, what's the deal with Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> what is the deal with Lawrence of Arabia? Uh, so this is probably one of the most famous movies to come out of Hollywood. It's very well known, very well regarded. It is absolutely like the pinnacle of of the historical epic, which is a genre that isn't really in vogue these days, I don't think. But people very much used to enjoy seeing these massive scale productions with hundreds of extras, on-location shots, lots of elaborate sets where people try to recreate these watershed moments and figures in history for the big screen. So like Cleopatra, um, the Ten Commandments, Gang on Lawrence of Arabia. These are all these are all old school Hollywood epics, uh, historical epics. So Lawrence of Arabia is about surprise. Lawrence of Arabia, T. E. Lawrence, who was a British officer in World War One, who kind of enmeshed himself with the Arab Revolt, which actually preceded him. He didn't start it or anything, but he. Uh, the British decided that it would be good to help them out because they were in the Ottoman Empire, and so that would divert resources from the Ottoman fronts against the, uh, not the Allied powers, I can't remember what actually what the the quote-unquote good guys in the world, in World War I were called, because the quote-unquote bad guys were the Allies, I don't remember, doesn't matter. The, uh, British-slash-French-slash-American-slash-Italian forces. Um, and Lawrence uh, did a good job. He He's most famous for his efforts against the Ottoman train lines, messing them up so that the Ottoman, the Turks, couldn't move troops and supplies between their various fronts or among their various fronts. And his, like... Peace de Resistance is the taking of Aqaba, which was an important port city in the Ottoman Empire. But all that to say is that this movie is about all that. It's about Lawrence. His. It's about how Lawrence became Lawrence of Arabia through his military exploits. It's not very historically accurate. Lawrence actually was... His importance was mostly strategical rather than actual um, military operations. There's a lot of characters in this who are composites of a lot of different people. 
And it's heavily based on his book, his autobiography, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, which is generally accepted to be fairly embellished at this point. But he was still an important figure in history and a very interesting figure in history. And this movie is both about his life and his, well, not his life, but his activities in Arabia and his character, uh, his the sort of what he was all about or what he represented in a more conceptual sense. So, uh, yeah, it was, it's very impressive, technically speaking. It's got lots of extras. It's got... It's got all the historical epic things. All of them are president correct. So, Nathan, give us your opening thoughts. What do you think of Lawrence of Arabia, the movie, not the man? Uh, yeah, we watched this uh, a while ago together. I can't remember. I want to say it was when I was trying to watch every Best Picture winner. So this is not just a very famous movie. It's a very acclaimed movie. It's like 97 on IMDb's top 100 movies of all time. It's reasonably, I want to say it's in the top 50 of the sight and sound greatest films of all time list, which is compiled from people in the film industry, basically. So I watched this with you a couple years ago when I was trying to watch all the best picture winners and we both enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I was kind of surprised by how much I enjoyed it. So I was really excited to come back to it. This is one of those movies that I'm like, oh, was I kind of overrating it? Was I just blown away by the scale of it? Is it actually really good? I was really excited to rewatch it. I'm happy to report it was just as good as I remember it being. Honestly, maybe even a bit better than I remember it being. I had a great time with this. I'm so excited to talk about it because I think it is a really interesting movie. A lot of the reviews I read from like Roger Ebert and other kind of contemporaries of him talking about this movie, a lot of them highlight how kind of weird of a movie it, it is. Like we already mentioned some of the other historical epics, but this isn't that much like them and I, I'll get into some of the reasons that they give and that I would see as reasons for why this is kind of an interesting historical epic but yeah what are your first thoughts I guess you kind of jumped into them near the tail end of your intro um I would say that I'm a little more on the I'm I was I was probably less enamored with it this time around than I was the first time um, it by no means dropped a significant amount. Um, it's as far away from a bad movie as a movie can get. There's a lot of stuff that I really, really like about it. I definitely like this movie. I just don't think I like it quite as much as I did the first time. Um, and I think that that's really just down to the length. This is a three and a half hour movie. And I think that this time around, without the novelty of the scale and the I don't know the like the realism of it of it being shot on location I think that this movie benefits hugely from its setting just from being where it is but I think that without with a little bit less of that novelty 
I was more awake to moments where I was like, all right, we could scale this back a little bit. We could cut out a few of these lines of dialogue. We could trim a few of these shots of landscapes or people walking, and we could maybe cut a good 20 minutes off of this movie and it would be a leaner, tighter production while still retaining that epic scope and scale that this movie is one of the things that this movie is most well known for. But that's no way to say that I dislike this movie. I still liked it a lot. I still thought it was really interesting. I thought that Peter O'Toole did a really good job playing Lawrence. Um, he's absolutely not in the vein of your typical Hollywood hero at this point. He was a lot more soft-spoken, a lot more pensive and more introspective, I think. Uh, and I really appreciated that. I thought that he had a really interesting character arc. I really liked Sheriff Ali, his friend in this movie. I thought he was an absolute standout and I loved their relationship in this. And I thought that Omar something, I've completely forgotten his name, but the guy who played him, Nathan looks like he's about to jump in. Omar, Omar Sharif, I think it is. Wow, that would be kind of yeah, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, Sharif. Yeah, I thought that he did a great job. All the performances in this were great. It's unfortunate that it's not unfortunate. It's bad that they cast Alec Guinness to play a man from the Middle East. That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. And it takes you out of the movie uh so that's bad obviously but yeah a lot to like in this movie definitely a really good one it's just there are some niggling problems in my mind that reduced it a bit just a bit sure well let's start you know let's try and fo focus this down a bit and i think we should start with lawrence you kind of already mentioned it Peter O'Toole, this was his first movie, because I'm pretty sure the movie starts with introducing Peter O'Toole. So that's bonkers. I mean, that's already, right, this is a far cry from, like, Charlton Heston playing Ben-Hur in Ben-Hur. Like, this, Peter O'Toole is not a movie star. He doesn't, I mean, he's not a very attractive person, in my opinion. He's weird. He plays Lawrence really weirdly. So I, I think just from the get-go, this is a different movie than what you are expecting it to be. It's not Lawrence of Arabia coming in like Vin Diesel or The Rock and just machoing through Arabia. This is a very quiet, soft-spoken, weird, social outcast finding a place to kind of fit in and right, rally people around him. I think the first time I saw this, the thing that really kind of blew my mind was the turn near the tail end of the movie when the movie becomes very critical of Lawrence, that near the end, it's pretty obvious that he kind of let the power go to his head, that he started thinking he could control things that were far outside of his control. He thought he was more of an icon and more of like a revolutionary to the Arabian people than he really was, which becomes clear as he almost instantly loses any amount of clout with them after they take Damascus. 
But it was interesting watching the movie this time to see all of those signs of Lawrence's hubris in the opening parts of the movie. The the two, there's a part near the beginning where he straight up says, like, I'm different, like, I'm special, I'm different, I'm amazing. And there's another line where I think it's Sheriff Ali asks him, in whose name do you ride? That he's like, do you... The rest of us are writing right for Allah, for God, for like religion. The British are operating for the British Empire. They're trying to make sure the British government does well and ends up with a stake in this land. And the question pervading the movie, I think, is what is Lawrence in this fight for? And I think the answer is Lawrence is in it for him and to kind of bolster his own ego in some sense. So I I think Lawrence is a fascinating character, and I think the movie does an amazing job of communicating so much of this kind of psyche of this person. Even if it's maybe a little ahistorical, it's interesting just to watch and think about, I think. And Peter O'Toole, you already said it, does an amazing job. He's so good. I told you yet the a couple days ago, I can't think of any other actor on earth who would play Lawrence the way Peter O'Toole plays him. And I think that's probably for the best. But what did you think of Lawrence and his kind of rise and fall that's depicted in this film? Yeah, I thought it was definitely very interesting. It is absolutely ahistorical because Lawrence historically was a a vociferous advocate for an independent Arab state. So that was that was pretty much what he was fighting for. He, he, I don't think he was like fighting for himself, although he obviously had a fairly high opinion of himself, but he did want to, he did have a goal in mind other than just being awesome and making sure everyone knows he's awesome. I thought that his arc was more Shakespearean uh, in that it's he it's very much a rise and fall and he it's interesting the way they handle it because he kind of falls out of the movie or he doesn't really fall out of the movie but he is less the centerpiece in the latter parts of it I think especially after he's captured at Dara or Derrera I can't remember he the the focus shifts more to what people are saying about him what other people how other pe- the point of view is becomes more of an outsider's point of view on Lawrence and his activities and so i think that it was i got less of a sense that it was about it was a like thematic character study in that it was about what is Lawrence fighting for, at least in the latter parts of the movie. And it was more just about his personal struggle with these high-minded ideals of wanting wanting to do the right thing and make the right choice, but also struggling with very sadistic, uh, self-destructive impulses. Um, So, like, when he when they stumble on the retreating Turks and he decides to just slaughter them instead of going straight to Damascus. I think that that was an important moment in his character arc because it showed how far he had fallen from his focus, 
his more strategic, coldly logical focus on just doing what's best for the war effort to, well, I guess I have sort of talked myself into now he's doing what's best for him, or he's he's indulging in himself more than he used to. So it's very interesting, uh, and it's a good character arc. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot... I'm not sure that it's necessarily trying to teach a lesson about, like, uh, make sure that you're fighting something other than yourself, for something other than yourself. But still, it's really interesting, and it's very well done, the way that he sort of descends into a more troubled and angry person. Yeah. And I like what you I agree that he... He kind of fades from the focus, but I still think the focus is, in a different way, still Lawrence of Arabia. Like, after the intermission, he's become, and after the reporter character shows up and starts right following him around, taking pictures and writing stories, the movie becomes a bit more about the icon Lawrence than it is the person of Lawrence. And we see that kind of struggle between what he thinks he should be and what he is in reality. There's, like you mentioned, he gets captured and they kind of highlight that, right, he's white and he's got literal, like factual things keeping him from being what he kind of has in his head for himself. And so the back half of the movie, he disappears somewhat, but the idea of what he is trying to be is still very much there. I thought this the the scene where Prince Feifel talks to the reporter and the reporter's like, hey, I wanna where I wanna find Lawrence of Arabia, because I think I can make him write this thing. I can write these stories and sell America on the idea of this guy. And I thought that scene was interesting because it's the first scene in the movie without Lawrence in it. Every scene up to that point had been, I mean, besides the brief kind of funeral scene at the very beginning of the movie, every other scene had Lawrence in it and was right from Lawrence's point of view. So I thought that scene was weird. But I think as we're talking about this, it feels to me like the scene is still focused on Lawrence just in a different kind of capacity because he had become by this point more than a man he had started to become kind of this icon and hero which I think is interesting yeah I agree I think that even more so it's about the ultimate enigma of Lawrence as a person I think that the movie starts becoming more reflective on the idea that there are so many layers of legend and myth that are sort of caked around him that it's impossible to really get at who he was at his core. Because, like you said, we have all these new perspectives on Lawrence and everyone has a slightly different one. Like Faisal is kind of, he kind of becomes disillusioned with Lawrence and thinks that he's more of an opportunistic person who's just fighting to further the interests of the British Empire. And the British Empire just view him as sort of a tool that they can use to further their interests. And the reporter <laughs> views him as a, like, an exhibitionist, like he said at the funeral, that he's just sort of putting on this show for people. And we don't really we get less and less of a view into Lawrence's own head 
because I think the movie is trying to make this point that there's the myth has far outstripped the ability of history to keep up with it or to keep it in check. Um, which I yeah. think is, that's a really interesting point to make about history. And you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a history buff myself. Um, and I think that that's absolutely true when it comes to these big, larger than life characters of history, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of speculation and spectacle about them that obscures the uh, quote unquote truth of them or the things that are more factual. Uh, so I, I really liked that part of it. Um, and I thought that it was a point well-made and well-aimed. And that's another way that I think this historical epic is again, very much different from other historical epics. You mentioned Cleopatra. I haven't seen it. I guess I've seen, I'll stick to things that I've seen then. But like Ben-Hur is not really that much about Ben-Hur. It's more about the spectacle. And my sense of a lot of these old historical epics is that it was much more about seeing this huge, crazy thing happen. And there's not really that many huge, crazy moments in Lawrence ever in this movie. I mean, there's two battle. I mean, there's a couple battle scenes of like them attacking trains. But the, like, big, big battle scene that you would expect to see them taking Damascus isn't even shown. It cuts from him attacking the retreating Turks to him having taken the city. And even the fight in, uh, oh, shoot, Abaka? Aqaba. 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 Even that fight is a fairly, I mean, it's large and it's impressive. It's one of those fights that I love seeing because there's like 400 extras on screen and they had to actually get 400 people for that, which I always think is really amazing. But this movie is a much more understated character study than it is a huge epic with giant scale battles and excitement. I mean, the best parts of this movie are... In my opinion, like Lawrence going back into the son's anvil to get the guy, Lawrence dancing around on top of a train after he's beaten it. The, the most interesting parts of this movie are the parts that are just looking at Lawrence and trying to peel away all of this stuff, which is a far cry from other historical epics. Yeah, I think that's true. That's not something that I had really considered. But as you talked, I think... I, I could definitely think about what I know because I took a, a whole class about movies and historical movies. And one of the things that I think that other historical epics are kind of leveraged into, certainly more so than this one, <coughs> excuse me, is exoticism and novelty. Like it's just about, wow, look mm. at that crazy – look at the crazy way that they dress or look at the crazy way that they got around or look at the crazy way that they built stuff back then. And this is more about – this is more introspective and more contemplative about history and the people that used to live there. I think that, that that's probably good for talking about Lawrence and we could definitely – keep talking about him as new thoughts arise in our mind. But I want to shift a little bit to the other characters because this movie has got itself a cast, uh, a big one. 
So what did you think about the other characters? I think that a lot of them, especially, again, we keep on talking about the latter parts of this movie, existed to kind of give new perspectives on Lawrence, which I think is one of the reasons why I really liked Sheriff Ali this time around, because it felt like he also he had more of a character. His character existed more outside of Lawrence than, than did the other tribal leader whose name I've forgotten, or Faisal, or Allenby, or his uh, British liaison guy. So I thought that Ali, Sheriff Ali was the standout. He was very well played as this proud, noble warrior who's deeply principled and deeply passionate about his goals. And I thought that was that was really great. And it, he played really well off of the more, what, uh, the more spectral Lawrence. The Lawrence was less firm in his convictions or his goals than was Ali. And again, I just thought that Omar Ali did a great job playing him. But uh, yeah, what do you think about the other characters? I like Sheriff Ali quite a bit. I like, you already mentioned it, so you know we don't have to beat a dead horse here. But I think Alec Guinness does a good job in, like you said, a very miscast racially role that he's in. I think Prince Feifel is an interesting character because he's almost got like a Aquaman-esque placement that he wants what's best for his people, but he's aware that he's going to maybe need to make some political sacrifices and he's going to have to be aware of right? British politics. He can't just stick his head in the sand and ignore the rest of the world. So I like that. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I liked the other, I also can't remember his name, but the other kind of head guy that comes along with, that comes along to Aqaba. I like him quite a bit, again, because I think he's a very simple sort of character. Like right from the get-go, we get an understanding of Right. He's kind of in it for himself. He's greedy. He's not the he's a far cry from, like you said, the very noble and principled Sheriff Ali. And I like that. I, I think the simplicity of it makes it very easy. And then again, kind of contrasts with Lawrence that we can easily see why he's in it, but we can't as easily see why Lawrence is right doing the things he does. And I think he even says at some point that right? Everyone's stealing stuff from the train and then leaving. And the guy is the the reporter or the Allenby, someone, some British guy is saying like, oh, that's so, that's disgusting, right? You're just going to take what you want and then leave. You got, and the guy points, he's like, as soon as you get what you want, you'll leave. And so this idea of, right, what does Lawrence want and what do any of us want? And then we just leave, right? Are we kind of selfish? I thought that was interesting. But yeah. And then most of the British people just blend together in one amalgamation of British people for me. They're all just, they, they say, do you want to crumpet and stuff like that? I don't know. Uh, yeah. So Alan B was the general the oh, okay. not the one who sent Lawrence out into the desert, but the one who replaced that guy and then became the a pseudo antagonist for the movie as he's sort of 
maneuvering the Arabs out of what they want. Because, as this movie points out, there was a secret agreement between the British and the French called the Sykes-Picot, I think. It's definitely Sykes-P-something. I think it's Sykes-Picot agreement where uh, the Ottoman Empire would be divided up between the British and the French, and they would kind of carve out all the territories with oil and then leave whatever scraps was left to the Arabs that they were working with and to whom they had promised their own independent state encompassing, if not all of, a great portion of the Ottoman Empire. So that's bad, obviously. That's that's not very good. And I think that this is where we come to... Because when we talk about historical movies or history movies, there's obviously always going to be a balance that has to be struck between accuracy and entertainment value and keeping things true to the spirit of history, if not the letter of history, to kind of borrow a phrase. And I'm not quite sure that they got the right balance for the Arabic side, because when I usually when we talk about historical movies like Saving Private Ryan or Downfall or stuff and stuff like that, I like to brush myself up on the subject in question. And I don't think that the tribes were as like, I'm not sure that the tribes were as tribal as they're depicted here. And I think that this movie might be kind of bought into the white savior myth a little bit. I don't think that the Arab tribes needed Lawrence to tell them that it would be a good idea to join together and have their own stuff rather than just kind of hang out and wait for different rulers to come. Because the thing is, and the thing that this movie does not address is that the Arab revolt existed before Lawrence. And like, we know from the movie that the, at least the Bedouin tribe that Prince Faisal was a part of was already um, working against the Turks and working with the British, but there were more than just them and they did want a united Arab state. So I think that that wasn't as good. And I think that that was definitely, uh, it, they could have done, a, they could have done a little bit more reading uh, in that area. They could have read a little bit more than just the seven pillars of wisdom in which Lawrence um, kind of plays himself up. Well, I'm going to assume all of that's accurate because you're the history person. We'll be sure to retract anything we find out is untrue later. And I agree. I think every historical movie should definitely... I think if you watch a historical movie, at the very least, you should have a discussion about what in it was true and was not true. Just because, you know, we want to be walking around on earth with accurate information in our heads and not just the stuff that some Hollywood writer thought would be neat. So, and then if you want to include that in thinking a movie is better or worse for historical accuracy, that's on you. For me, it's not a huge deal. And especially with regards to this movie, I don't see it as a giant deal, the ahistorical sort of elements because I think it paints, it helps paint a very interesting picture of Lawrence. 
So, but that's just me. I get other people. To kind of pivot here. Well, hold on. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely understand that. But I think that, so Lawrence did not actually take part in the taking of Damascus. Damascus was taken by the Australians like three days before he even got there. So to my knowledge, the whole thing with the Arabs not being able to administer a, a like bureaucratic state in Damascus is invented. And I think that like surely that was only put in there to demonstrate like, I don't know, a very cynical reading of it. And I don't want to, I don't want to be too cynical despite my propensity for cynicism, but a very cynical reading of it would be like, oh, look at how incapable they are of governing themselves. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't think that was the idea. I think that you could take it that way. I don't think that that was their intention. I think that they were just trying to add to Lawrence's character development, that he was failing in his ultimate goal, or what may have been his ultimate goal. I just think that there were more artful and tactful ways to do that, rather than just making up a bunch of squabbling uh, tribesmen who can't run a city. I so I think that 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 for me made the movie worse. That was something that I did take into account when I was deciding on how I would evaluate its quality because I think like nobody I mean if if when they make a movie about our massive success Nathan with this podcast and if they depicted us as being uh about like a pair of stupid, unscientific religious zealots, I would have a problem with that. I think that that's, I would think that that's unfair and that would be, that would be a stupid and bad decision to make. And I think that the same thing applies to this part of the movie. Okay. Well heard. To continue my pivot that you interrupted. Sorry. I want to kind of move to talking about some of the more, I guess, technical aspects. We always talk, when I say technical, I, you know, I'm stupid. So it's always just cinematography and then maybe the music usually. It's very rarely like, oh, the costume design. But the cinematography in this is super dope and super amazing. I love it. I think you already mentioned a lot of this movie is filmed on location. I don't, think it was filmed on location in the middle east it was probably filmed on uh, location in like oh it was filmed a, it was filmed on tatooine aka jordan tatooine was filmed in tunisia whatever dang it <laughs> it did look a lot like tatooine but yeah it was filmed in the jordanian desert okay got it i'm trying to remember where jordan is oh i got it okay so that is the middle east but it looks amazing there's so many of the iconic shots in this film are of just, you know, one person in the desert with the sun. If you've seen the Fablemans near the end, John Ford shows up, a character, John Ford, the director, and he shares the advice that the horizon should always be on the top of the screen or the bottom of the screen because it looks like visually more interesting. And I noticed that a ton in this movie that they would put the horizon at the top. So your screen would be almost completely filled with sand or he put the horizon at the bottom and you just have this huge blue expanse and it, it looks really fascinating. 
the other kind of cinematography based thing that I wanted to say in the first scene where the cameraman is with them when they're attacking the train, he keeps cutting to the cameraman like popping up and taking a picture in the same way you would film like someone popping up and taking a shot out of a gun, which I just thought was an incredibly clever, like cute thing that right. He's shooting quote unquote, the scene, the, you know, the attack with his camera in the same way a person would shoot. So I just thought that was a really neat, like visual thing to, you know, I don't know if it necessarily says anything or is showing anything. I just thought it was a cool way to shoot him, the, him, the reporter shooting with a camera, the scene. I agree. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I think that this movie benefits in a very substantial way from where it's taking place and the fact that they shot on location like all they had to do was just point the camera at a big at a big sandy expanse and i think i would have been like wow uh but they they were more like you say they were more artful than that and it just this movie is a looker there are so many cool shots of empty deserts or people in the desert. I really, I thought the shot of them taking Aqaba from the top of the hill when it sort of pans across all the horses riding into town and then ends on the gun pointing at the sea. That was the reason they had to come from the desert because the guns were aimed at the sea. That that was awesome. That was a great shot. And I can only imagine everyone afterwards sort of like, standing around waiting to hear from the director if they had gotten the shot or if they needed to do it again and how relieved they must have been that they wouldn't have to do it again when they eventually did it. That was all really cool. Uh, And yeah, there's, there's definitely some old Hollywood magic in this. Like when we talked about Casablanca, we extolled the virtues of old Hollywood magic a lot. I don't think this movie has the same level as Casablanca, but it's definitely got enough that I was like, wow, movies are great. What a what a great art form we have. And I felt some nice feelings. So yeah, that was all that was all good. I thought that the music was very good. I didn't I it didn't blow my mind. I probably wouldn't listen to it casually, but I thought <laughs> that it 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 was pleasant to listen to and it enhanced the scenes over which it was set. Uh, and that's all that a movie score really needs to do. The ones that go above and beyond, obviously, go above and beyond. But this movie, this movie's music, did what it needed to do, and it did it very well. So that's what I—that's what I have to say about that. All right. Well, do you? I guess I'll say, share before you can share any final thoughts. But I've been fairly praising of this film. I have some. I do feel like the movie loses a bit of steam. I didn't really mind the runtime as much as I thought I would. When you told me that this was the movie you picked for this week, I was like, oh, great. I have to watch like a near four hour film, but it flew by. I had such a great time. I think when, after the intermission, when it started being kind of less about Lawrence, the person and more about the image of Lawrence or the idea of Lawrence, I think it kind of lost me a bit. And that section after he gets captured and then he, he kind of gives up being Lawrence of Arabia for a bit. And then he comes back. That section felt like it kind of dragged a bit, just a bit. And 
you know, I don't know what I would necessarily cut from it, but it did kind of feel like, I was like, okay, we're setting up for the climax. Let's set up a bit faster. But on the whole, for a movie this long, there was not very many moments where I was bored or that I felt like it was wasting my time, even on, you know, like the introduction for Sheriff Ali is a very extended sequence of him riding from, you know, out of the haze of the desert to be close enough to be seen. And I don't care. I, it looks great. It is great. It's a great introduction. I'm more than happy with it. So I think really my only negatives are, yeah, it kind of drags a bit near the end, but on the whole, this is a staggering filming achievement in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I've all, I've been more negative on this movie and I always, I, I, I always wonder after we do these things, when I like them, I feel like I like a movie more than I said, or I feel like I dislike a movie more than I said, how I should have talked about it, but I just want to, it's one of those things that we've said time and time again, that I just had more to say about the problems that I have with with this movie than I do what it gets right. But I do want to say that it gets most of its stuff right. It looks amazing. The characters are really interesting. The performances are all fantastic. Uh, The, uh, the battle scenes are well shot. It's a, it's a, it's a very good movie, uh, and the music is good. All that's good. I also had problems with the pacing. I thought, yeah, like I said at the beginning, there's just there's just too much stuff. There's just too many indulgent edits where I'm like, we don't need all this information, or we don't need this information delivered to us in such a verbose manner, or I, I love the shots of the desert, but some of the shots in, like, just British command or something, I was like, wow, I, I get it. This is a this is a crowded place or this is a big place. Let's move on. That kind of thing that made me feel like there's a roughly 20 or so minutes of footage in here that we could cut and then get a more a, a better experience. But uh, yeah, this is a this is a very good movie that does a lot of stuff really well. Uh, I I would I don't disagree with anything that Nathan has said there. I'll say that. It's funny you say twenty minutes. I'm eighty percent certain that this version of the movie is twenty minutes longer than the version that came out in 1962, because this was a film that was almost lost. Like the original film negatives were all burned or destroyed, and there was only one version that was found in like Paramounts or whoever owned it in their vault, they found a version and the version was like the David lean, the lean cut, not lean as in, you know, spry lean as in the director, David lean, uh, the lean cut of Lawrence of Arabia. So maybe if you were alive in 1960, you could have seen a shorter version and liked it more, Elliot. Maybe. Are you are you currently looking up and verifying the information I just disseminated? Yep. Well, I guess while you do that, I will share my rating for this film. I already said, I think this film absolutely deserves its classic status. 
I like this even more than I did the first time. It's so epic in scope in terms of how much of Lawrence's life it is trying to communicate and how much of Lawrence, the idea of Lawrence that it's trying to communicate, I think is fascinating. It's so kind of different from a lot of other movies in this same vein. And I really like that about it. It looks amazing. It sounds amazing. If you have an afternoon free, I think you should definitely watch it. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. I'm a big fan of this. There's just some pacing issues near the tail end. Yeah, so you were right. There were like 20 or so minutes that were added or were cut for the original release and then re-added for the re-release. Most of it, according to what I saw, well, a significant percentage of it uh, being the overtures at the beginning and then the intermission, uh, the music parts. Oh. It was just a black screen with music oh. playing. But yeah, I think that this is a very good movie. I think that there's a lot of old Hollywood magic in it. I think that characters are really interesting. Peter O'Toole does a great job. Everyone does a great job. It's incredibly well shot. Um, I always love movies that are shot. Well, I don't always. I always love it when movies shoot on location because it just, just looks better uh, than a than a green screen. There are problems with the historical inaccuracies that I think constitute flaws with the movie, with its depiction of people, and with its playing fast and loose with what actually happened. And there are some problems with the pacing that keep it from that keep me from enjoying it as much as I did the first time around. So uh, I'm gonna I'm still going to give it a B plus. Um, so still mm-hmm. very good, well above average movie that I'm almost certainly going to watch again someday when I have the time. Yeah. Wow. So good. All right. Let's hey. Let's recommend some movies. I am cheating a bit, but I think we've done this once before, so it's not really cheating. But I'm gonna recommend another David Lean film that also won Best Picture and also has Alec Guinness, uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai, which is the story. It's also, from my understanding, fairly ahistorical, has very little to do with what actually happened. But it's the story of some British officers, soldiers, a British, a very large amount of British soldiers who get captured by, I want to say the Japanese is I'm pretty sure, because they're in Asia, yeah. They get captured by the Japanese and get basically put to work making the bridge on the River Kwai. And, I mean, that's the plot. I think it's fascinating because, much like Lawrence of Arabia, it has a turn near the end of the film where all of the things it had been kind of trying to convince you of before the turn it flips on its head and it's like, no, actually we were lying to you earlier. Like these people are scumbags for doing this thing. And I I think it's really fascinating. It was one of my favorite and one of the kind of bigger surprises I had from watching all the best picture winners. Alec Guinness is amazing in it, playing a British person instead of an Arabian, which I really love. But I just think it's a fascinating movie for a lot of the same reasons that Lawrence of Arabia is fascinating, that it's 
history. It's if you look at it just as historical fiction, I think it's probably better. But I really like this. The final, the finale is one of kind of the most iconic endings for an old Hollywood sort of movie. So my recommendation is The Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that since we watched it the one time. I honestly remember not being super into it. I remember being confused by it, uh, by the motivations of the characters. I think probably it just went over my head. Um, so it's one that I think I should rewatch. Uh, so I can't, I don't think I can second this recommendation, but I also can't like discourage you from watching it. Um <laughs> But like Nathan needs me to be a check on his recommendations. Like I, he he needs me to tell to tell the audience when when Nathan's being being smart and when Nathan's being silly. So what I'm saying is I don't know in this case. I'm assuming that he's probably being smart. But anyway, my recommendation is Blackberry. I don't think this is still in theaters, or if it is, I think it's probably in very few theaters. Um, but it's probably coming out on DVD or to rent or stream somewhere. I don't know what they do. Pretty soon. <laughs> uh, we've talked about this movie a bit before. It's about the rise and fall of Blackberry, which is a big part of why I chose it. Because it's also about somebody who starts out the the one of the co-creators of Blackberry who starts out with a very utopian idealistic vision that becomes steadily corrupted by uh, a lot of arrogance and a lot of bad influences outside of himself. Um, it's really funny. It's really good. It's very well paced. Uh, it's a, it's just a really good, strong biopic or not a biopic. I'm not sure what you would call it actually. Historical movie, whatever. doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I would, uh, I would highly recommend that you watch it. Yeah, me too. You're probably going to hear about this movie more. I have to imagine it's going to land on my top five favorite movies from this year. I'm a huge fan. If you want more thoughts, just ask me in real life what I think about this movie. And I'll talk your ear off for like an hour or two, because I think this movie's dope. But, hey, if yep, you ask me... If you ask me if I think that life is hard and full of disappointments, I'll say yes. And then I'll leave. Yeah. Well, not actually. If you want to come to the Magellans of the Movies meet and greet. <laughs> which is not happening. Yeah. Which is not happening. Uh, we don't have a lot of banter here. We already talked about Barbie and Oppenheimer. You should go see one or both of those films. We can tell you. After we've, we can tell you next week which one is better, but I have to imagine both of these are going to be good. And I am firmly convinced this is a cultural moment you want to be a part of. At the end of the year, you'll be seeing lots of skits and joke, jokey jokes about Barbie and Oppenheimer. You're going to want to be able to sit there and say, I understood that reference. So, you know, jump in now. I'm trying to generate as much. FOMO is possible and everyone listening. So they go and watch these movies. Well, that's dumb. Um, but we yep. should also say that uh, we should also say congratulations to Mr. And Mrs. Cowens who have, who were married last week uh, and are currently in Minneapolis on their honeymoon. Uh, Nathan, to close us out, what's your favorite divorce movie? Kramer v. Kramer or marriage story? Kramer v. Kramer by a bit. And it's actually Kramer versus Kramer, which is weird because it is a legal 
divorce. So it should be Kramer v. Kramer, but it is Kramer versus Kramer. We should also shout out our intro guy whose birthday was last week and we totally oh, yeah. forgot to say happy our birthday intro to guy. Him. I think his name was like Jake or something. Yeah. So Joseph, Joseph Brendy, I think it yeah, was. Something like that. Yeah. So happy birthday to old Jake. We'll be back next week with a really special episode. I'm pretty excited for it. If you want to hear us get increasingly peeved, be sure to listen in next week. Hope you have a great week and we hope you enjoyed this episode.